after this year. And, you know, it's more than just the events and the work that Blaine does, and he does a great job at that. He took a bunch of us to the footy on um, Friday night, and Bowen just couldn't arrange the win for us. That was a little bit disappointing. But uh, there's a lot of that work. But, you know, more than that, just want to pay tribute to Wayne. He's, uh, he's one of these guys that just gets around. And you look at him on any given Sundays, but he's arm on somebody's shoulder, just encouraging them, speaking, you know, encouragement and courage into their lives. But a great heart to see men thrive and be uh, the men that God wants them to be. So Wayne's a good friend of myself, uh, a great blessing to this church. And so we're blessed to have him speak today. And uh, we're going to watch an AV. When that AV is finished, uh, why don't you just put your hands together a big time for Wayne uh, when the AV is, you know? Uh, and I'm release all the little kids. Oh, Jacinta was doing charades down the front here. I, mean, I kid you not, she was going like this and doing all this. I have no idea what you're doing. But all the kids are leaving too as the AV comes on. So thank you, guys. Greatest TV dad of all time. I'd say it's a toss-up between uh, Andy Griffith, that cool dad from Friday Night Lights, and Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker? He's my role model. Okay, those are good dads, but nobody beats Mr. Belvedere. That was a good dad. He's a butler. No, he's a dad. No, he's not a dad. He's a butler. He seems so patriarchalish. Okay, greatest memory of your dad growing up as a kid? That's tough. I mean, there's so many of them. Um, I remember my dad took me fishing sometimes. He taught me to play golf. And we laughed. We laughed a lot. Here's one for the books, okay? Memory of my dad when I was a teenager. Okay, I'm trying to convince him that I just wanted to be an average Joe. Just let me be average, you know? And he gets all frustrated with me, and he comes into my room, and he's like, that is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. You're afraid if you put knowledge into your brain, your brain's going to explode and ooze out of your ear. You've got the brain damage. And then he, like, gave me a Joe budgesicle, and it just made all my cares go away. Steal. That's the Cosby Show. Huh? Yeah. That's some sober Theo is satisfied with being mediocre, and Cliff comes in and tells him that's not okay. That, that's that's classic Cosby. How does my childhood and TV just enmesh so much? Okay. I got one for you. Best advice your dad ever gave you. Life is not a dress rehearsal. Make it count. Did that touch you then? Yeah, he went into sports. That had explained so much. My dad, besides always saying, um, don't stand in front of an open flame while eating Mexican food, um, he would quote this proverb, uh, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, a man of understanding is even tempered. I love that. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, say that again. I'm going to quote it for myself. Go. No. Hey, when did you first realize your dad wasn't a superhero? What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, when we're kids, we think our dad's a superhero, right? And then we grow up, and we see their faults, and we realize they're just human. Isn't 
not what makes a great superhero. Okay, take the ultimate superhero, Superman. He can do anything, anything. But as soon as you get him around some little green rocks, he becomes a complete ball of crypto mush. But I think that's what makes a great superhero. He knows his flaws. He knows the kryptonite. Same way with being a dad. We know our flaws. We know what trips us up. We stay away from it, and we still defend our universe. Hmm. I guess if you look at it that way, I guess my dad still is my hero. Boom goes the dynamite. Swish. Can we play some meatball? Yeah, give me this.
us to move somewhere in life, if we want to achieve something, we've got to have an idea. We've got to be motivated by something, like a vision, a dream, even if you want to call it a goal, if you like that sort of word, goal. So even the Bible says without um, a vision, we will cast off restraint. It says that in Proverbs. And, and um, the message says that if you can't see what God is doing, people stumble over themselves. So my question this morning is, what is it, a vision of a man? What does a man look like? What does a godly man look like? Ezekiel um, had his vision of heaven. And Ezekiel wanted it, it, it explains what he saw. And um, as heaven opened up, he saw God's glory. And he saw these creatures that had an appearance of humans, had an appearance of men, but they had four faces. So they had a, a, you know, one head, but each side of their head, there was his face. And these, these creatures, they followed the Holy Spirit wherever they went. The Spirit moved, these creatures followed. They were like in tune and followed the Spirit. And then they come together as one. And they were in like in, in adoration and reverence for the Son of God, for Jesus, basically. And they were worshipping Jesus. And it's these creatures, these four faces that I want to see as a godly man. I see, you know, these the presence of God, God's glory was in these faces, was amongst these faces. And I want to talk about this, these four faces and how they are as a man. <clears throat> First face you see out there looks, like I said, looks pretty trippy and crazy looking creature. That's an honest impression, by the way. I don't think they think we that. So we've got four faces. We've got the, the face of the ox, which is at the back. You can just see the horns poking up. We've got this side, we've got the face of the lion, the face of an eagle. The face of man. What do they symbolize? What do they represent? The ox. The ox is the one that carries the burdens. It's, it's, the, it's the strong one. You, know, you, you can remember those pictures, those black and white pictures of big long bullet trains carrying logs out of the bush and heavy burdens. The ox is also about sacrifice. In, in the Old Testament times, it was one of the animals that the, the, the Hebrews sacrificed and worshipped to God. Generally speaking, a man will have double the muscle percentage of a woman. That's how God created us. He created us physically stronger. So that's what the ox. We are to labor. We are to work. I remember um, where I grew up, the house I grew up in, was a wet board house on concrete stumps. We lived on a hill down by the bay. And uh, it was a great house. After, after living some time there, my folks decided to make it a two-story house and build it underneath. The trouble was, we were on a hill. They didn't cut the blocks in those days, so the block had to be cut. So Dad said, right up, let's do that. He went and bought a ute. He got a pick and shovel. This is the days before bobcats and bingos. And he started digging out under our house. He started laboring for his family. He started beating the ox, and he you know, started shoveling that dirt into the ute. He worked shift work. He'd do a graveyard shift, come home, have a bit of sleep and get up there and start digging, digging for his family, provide, you know, doing that work. And he eventually did it and concreted it and closed it in, and it was a great two-story house. The house I grew up in had fantastic memories there. The lion, that's the other face. The lion is about the bold one, the protector, the, the, the one who is courage. And the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. He's the protector of the wife, the protector of the family. Now, I've got another story about my dad, and I'm not 
I'm not ashamed to share stories about my dad's father today and I want to honour him today. And when my brother was five years old, so we're talking about 40 years ago, he went for a ride on his bike in the neighbourhood. He's riding down the road and his dog comes charging out and wants to bite him, you know, on his leg. And he kicks at the dog to get it away, you know, boots it. And the owner of the dog saw this and he thought, oh, you know, he's got to be kindly to it. So he grabbed my brother. And he said, what are you doing, mate? That's my dog. Well, how dare you treat my dog like that? You know, you idiot, you stupid boy. And saying these things and, and, and you know, devastating my brother. He bawled, he was bawling his eyes out and he went home and he was crying. And, and Dad says, what's happened, mate? What's happened? You've got no blood on you. didn't fall off your bike. What's, what's happened, buddy? And he was this man around the corner. He called me an idiot. He said, oh, we shouldn't kick his dog. His dog was going to bite me. So, Dad said, you know, we can't just sit here. We've got to do something about it. So he said, son, let's go talk to this guy. And he grabbed his hand. And he walked around the street, walked up to the guy's door. And suddenly, from, from a cool, calm father to this lion, a roar, this roar came out of my father. And, and it wasn't like anger. And it wasn't like um, uncontrollable. And it wasn't even shouting. But he served it up to this guy. He said, how dare you talk to my son like that? Who gives you the right to speak to my son like that? If you want to ever talk to my son, you come and talk to me. Do not go near my Lord ever again. And this guy was just backstabbing. He was trembling in his boots. And my brother remembers, and 40 years later, he still remembers that time. And to see this guy who was intimidating him, who was frightening the heck out of him, now was being intimidated by this, by this man who was defending him, who was his, his father, who was standing up for him and giving this guy what he deserved. That's, that stayed with my brother. That stayed with him till this day. He knows what the lion looks like. He's seen it firsthand. We also have the eagle. But just on the lion, the lion's not being about violence. My father didn't go and belt that bike. He could have, and he probably wanted to, but he didn't. He held, held, held himself back. It's not about that. It's not about rage. It's not about anger. It's about authority. It's about facing things speaking into them when they need it. The eagle. The eagle's the spiritual one. The one that prays. The man that prays. The worshippers. That worship. That overseers. That lift, lift, rising above the situation. The Bible says in Ezekiel 40, 31, it says those, what does it say? It says, the Bible says, those who hope in God will soar on wings like eagles. Now, We've learned that um, recently that Dan's a big fan of Bette Midler. Last week we, we was exposed and and, um, and apparently Facebook did about it this week. Now Dan, what's that movie? Was it Teachers? Was it Preachers? Preachers, was it? Oh, his father's son. It's beautiful. So in that movie there's another song about wings, isn't there? There's, I'm sure you do. The eagle. So the eagle's a praying man. Not a praying man, it's a praying man. He's a godly man. One who becomes a worshipping example. That's not just here in church on Sunday when we, when we sing songs and have a great time. It's about living as a worshipping example in the community. When I was a young father, I was sick quite a bit. I had uh, chest infections and things like that. I was in and out of hospital. And uh, I remember one occasion I was lying in bed, crooked as a dog. And... Um, my dad came into the room. And he had a look of, you know, in his face. You know, my dad's a very capable man. Whatever he sets his mind to, he achieves. He, you know, that's what he does. 
But it was a situation that was faced in front of him that it was beyond him. He could not achieve this. But he sat on my bed, he laid his hands on me, and he cried out to God who he knew could achieve it. A God who could bring change in my life. And he's, I can still remember his desperate cry, and he's pleading on my behalf. And it really impacted me. It really moved me. And it, it, it did something. And I believe that day I received the gift of intercession. And I love praying today, and I think I put it down to that moment in my time. And I forgot about that. And it was only when I was, was researching and, and, and putting this word together that, that I remembered. God took me back there and he showed me, showed me that point in my time. You see, if you were a fly in the wall in our house, you'd think my mum was a spiritual woman, which she is, very much so. But it was that moment that, that was impacted me. That I, you know, it was beautiful. So we also have the man. The man is us, our humans. We have human weaknesses. We have human limitations, manly limitations. We have human capacities, physical bodies. It is the husband. It is the father. It is the friend. We have limitations. This body is limited. And it is through this body, through the limitations of this body, that the others will affect the other three faces. And it's this body that we need to get in order so the others can come to life. And right now, we're going to have a half-time break. We've got coffee down the back. And guys, men, stand up, grab a coffee. Mingle about, have a chat. We're going to have some videos up here you can look at and have a laugh at. We'll come back in about five minutes, so... Stand up, have a coffee, and come back in five.
had two keys to work with here, as opposed to the four that would be on the Super Nintendo, uh, which is kind of the only downside. Uh, the responsiveness is great, though. Was it something inspiring? Was it something that 
Yeah, I'd love to be like that. You know, something that would be motivating for you. And there's something that was a bit confronting. And some of you are thinking, well, that ox and that lion, I can nail those, I reckon. That eagle, that's a bit beyond my reach. Or, was, or, or you think, well, I couldn't do this at all. You don't know me, you don't know my circumstances, I couldn't do it. So I'm, I'm asking you, what's stopping you? I knew, I knew, you know, I've, grown, I've been out around long enough now to know of men who've journeyed in life and that it's like they've had situations in, in, in themselves that they didn't, they didn't come to maturity. Was, was still immature. The areas of their life that they ignored and they hid away are still immature. And there's one guy in particular, you look at his family, you think, he's got a nose. He's everything, he's got everything, neat package, tick all the boxes. However, there was a part of him that he didn't mature. And as he journeyed in life and as the pressures come along, he caved. And, and he ended up having an affair and ruining things. In Malachi 2, verse 16, it says, I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as, as, well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. Hate's a pretty strong word. And as I read that, it's like he covers himself with violence. So he's like deliberately putting on a garment. It's not, it's not something that is thrown on him. He's deliberately picking it up and putting it on. And when, when we talk about violence, it's the same violence that was in the Old Testament, in Genesis, when, when God decided to flood the world. That was the thing that was going on. And it was not violence about, you know, physical violence, which could be, but it's not only that. It's also it's about doing wrong, about violation. There's also I want to highlight where he says he puts on his own garments as well. So he whacks violence on, and it's like over the top he put on another garment. So it gives me the picture that underneath, hidden away, secret, is these things that he's doing wrong. These things that, that man is doing wrong. And it's, sometimes it can be the fact that we put on violence and then put on this Christian coat. So the outside looks great. Like I was saying to that guy earlier, on the outside everything looks perfect. But underneath, no, it wasn't perfect. It was wrong. There's violence underneath. Christian, violence. Christian, violence. Don't misunderstand me, guys, please. I'm not saying this is about fighting. I'm not only talking about having affairs. It's, all, it's also about where we spend our time. What um, what do we do when nobody's around? What are we looking at? What fills our minds? How do we react when the pressure's on? Are there some areas in our lives that have been underdeveloped, a bit mature? For a long time, I was um, my mind side of me was quite underdeveloped. Quite immature. And it wasn't until I was a newly married man, my beautiful wife Beck, and we had this opportunity that my folks were building a new house. We moved on from the 70s when we were home, and they decided to build a new house um, in Birkdale and a uh, new estate, and so there was no, no, no houses around. So I had a full drive, sort of drive over all the wagon blocks to get to the block that my dad was building on. Little did I know that there was guys working in the street and they had tools in the grass. So I pulled up that son in front of the house and we looked around and you know, showing Dad and Mum showing us We're coming back to the house, uh, back to the car and two guys sitting behind the car. One was a girl as well, a big bloke, bigger than me, and uh, he didn't look too happy. 
The grab the vision and decide you want to be the best box. Decide you want to be the best lion. Decide you want to be the best eagle, the best man that you can be. And work on it. The second thing is, invite God in. In First Nehemiah, I love this story. Nehemiah writes and he's grieved by the situation of Jerusalem. Its walls have fallen down, its gates have burned, and it's vulnerable. And how did it get to that situation? How did it get to that place? Because it's dropped its guard. It, 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 it clothed themselves in violence, doing things wrong, and it was vulnerable and open for attack. And the enemy came in and destroyed Jerusalem. So Nehemiah was moved, he was grieved. And his first action was to pray. And he got down on his knees and he cried to God in a, in a you should read Nehemiah 1. It's a beautiful prayer of, of desperation and a prayer of, 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 of crying out to God. And he wanted God's plan. He wanted God to intervene and help him to come up with a solution and how to rebuild Jerusalem. I had a, um, see guys, when we, when we do things wrong, when we don't work on those immature parts of us, we're, we're open to attack. We're vulnerable. I had a dream a little while ago that I was a rock star. And I had, you know, my tight black leather jeans on, had a whiskey bottle and a cigarette, and I was playing up. And Beck was there, but, you know, Beck's a good girl. She doesn't play up like that. And uh, not that I do, just by the way. But um, it's quite interesting. In that moment in my life, there was a period there where I could have been making better choices. And I find that interesting when having this dream in that period of my time. Anyway, in this dream, we're in the motel room, Beck decides to leave and off on herself. Suddenly so a knock on the door. And as the door opens, this figure walks in. And I'm thinking, Stella, is that you? Now, Stella was a, a girl who an um, exchange student, a Chinese exchange student, who was hosting at the time. I said, Stella, was that you? There was no answer. And this figure kept walking in. I said, Stella, was that you? And I kept repeating, uh, re- asking and asking, and there was no answer. Suddenly, I'm awake in bed, and at the end of my bed, there's this figure, and I said, I suddenly had this realization that's not Stella, and suddenly that's not anything of God. And as I had that realization, God spoke to me and He said, See, Wayne, see what happens when you leave yourself vulnerable. You, you leave yourself open. You're vulnerable for attack. And I said, God, I'm sorry. Lord, please forgive me and please restore my walls. See, God allowed me to have that experience to, to, to teach me something, to bring the situation to my attention. In Micah, um, I'm not sure if I said this earlier, I meant to say that read about Micah, but I did, yeah. But the last bit of Micah, that Micah verse 2, verse 16, he finishes off when he talks about hating and violence and things like that. He finishes off saying, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break the faith. Guys, we need to guard ourselves. We need to build the walls to guard our spirit. And I'm not talking about walls to shut the world out and become a hermit and hide things under that jacket. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our spirit man. We need to protect that spirit man because it's more than we are protecting. It's more than ourselves we're protecting. We're protecting our families. We're protecting our wives. We're protecting our mates, our church. Now, guys, there's some of us in this building who are not married and the concept of a wife is not even in their head at the moment. But you guys, you establish these practices. You establish them now and you're protecting your future wife. The woman that God's got to set aside for you right now, you're protecting her. You're working, you're working at establishing good foundation to be a good husband. Second thing is, receive encouragement and be an encourager. 
If you've been attending our shed much, you would have heard me talk about the Assyrians um, and how they intimidated Jerusalem. Now, this is before Nehemiah's time, and the Jerusalem, picture this Jerusalem was a beautiful city, had uh, great secure walls around it, guards lining the walls. But over the wall, and out in the plainlands, there was this army from Syria, and they were humongous. They just consumed everything in their path. And they were a nation to be feared, a nation to be feared. And the captain of the guard, the, the commander, came up to the wall, and he was, he was abusing the, the, the Israelites. He was saying, who do you think you are that you can think that you can stop us? We are the Assyrians. We are a force that just takes over everything that we choose. No God has stopped us. Do you think your God can stop us? No God has stopped us. We are coming in. We are going to, we're going to take the city. We're going to kill you all. And it was this menacing, bold man on his own in front of this whole city, yelling out. And that takes boldness. And he's crazy. And I see the guys on the... I was, you know, I was pictured on that. On, I was on that wall myself. I picture that the Assyrians is that, that thing that menaces me in my life. That sometimes seems so big and overwhelming. I think, how can I get over this? How can I? How can I achieve victory in this situation? Look how big they are. Look how loud this thing is in my ears. Look how strong its pull is in my life. But you know what? The king, their king, King Hezekiah, knew their situation. He knew the weakness of man. And he came and he spoke to his troops in his city. He said, the Assyrians have only got arms of flesh. Do not be afraid of them. They've only got arms of flesh. But with us is the God Almighty. And he will see us. He will give us victory. And I see, I see a guy on the, on the wall. He's turned to his mate and he's saying, he sees the size of the Assyrians. And he's trembling in his boots. He says, I don't think I can do it. I want to give in. I want to give in to this. I, I want to spare my life. I'm sure I can live if I just go and surrender now. And he's next standing there right next to him saying, don't you dare, buddy. Don't give in. Don't give in to those guys. Don't give in. Don't, you know, don't surrender. Think about your family. Think about the city. We need everyone. We need everyone to stand strong. And, and that's what I want for you guys. That's, what, that's the situation I want. I want a man to be vulnerable. I want a man to be saying, I'm not here in my life. That I need help with I need, I need my best friend, my best buddy to come in and, and give me encouragement. You know, the other guy, even if you have got baggage yourself, I want you to be the encourager. I want you to say, God, man, you can do it. You can do it. Don't give in. It's for you, not only for you, it's for me. It's for your family. It's for the church. It's for this community. Build the picture. Be the encourager. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying being vulnerable is a piece of cake. It's a cake walk. No way. Like those guys you saw riding those waves, frightened. You might even think it's a bit crazy. You might even think you're a bit of a nut, but you're not. And it takes courage, and I encourage you to do it. Will you always get it right? Will you always nail it? No, not at all. Even Paul in Romans seven fifteen says, "I don't understand what I do, because what I want to do I don't, and what I hate I do." But he gets it. But the key is never give up. Never, never lie down. Get back up again if you fall down. Carl had a great illustration last week about the soccer game. He says, what happens if you don't hit a coach? Do you lie down? Do you sit back on the No. You stay in the game. And you keep pushing on towards the goal. Remember God is safe. 
doing his words. He's not some big dude with a stick waiting to belt you. And he's not some guy who's up in heaven just criticizing you and sledging you like he's serious. He's not like that at all. What are his words? His words are, I will never leave you or forsake you. If I am with you, who can stand against you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things for Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Because God is calling us, He's calling us to be set apart. He's calling us to be different. The world, the, the society cannot make up what a man is. A man's an oath. A man's a drunkard. A man can gamble. A man can go to a strip club. A man can be gay. A man can be an athlete. A man can be a dick. It's all these things. God's made it clear. God's made it clear what a man is. Don't let these four faces, these four aspects turn you off. Let them motivate you and encourage you to be the best you can for your family and beyond. As I finish today, I want to read out the lyrics to a song by Tim Friedman. He's from the Whitmans, a good 90s band. And the song set in this um, dingy club and he's playing the piano and he noticed this guy is walking in and out and in and out to the boat lounge. He's like this trance and he's, he's, and he's, un- he's been controlled by his addiction. And he writes, he writes his song and in the, in the chorus he writes this. And he says, And I wish, I wish I knew the right words to make me feel better and walk out of this place. Defeat them in your secret battle and show them that you can be your own man again. And I wish, I wish I knew the right words to blow up the pokies and drag them away. Because they've taken the food off your table so they can save trains run on time. That's the cry of my heart, man. I wish I had the words to, to, to change the situation in your life, to bring about change, to bring about maturity in your life, but I can't. It's in your hands. I'm not just talking about gambling. I'm not just talking about violence. I'm not just talking about, about um, um, uh, uh, having an affair. It's all those little things that we don't think of. It's always something we can work on. Then I want you to grab a hold of that thing that you know in your life that you need to develop, that you need to work on, that you need to bring to maturity. Grab a hold of that. These Maddie and the boys are going to play and sing this morning. It's a brilliant song. Let it motivate you. Let it encourage you to, to, to work on. Thanks very much.
Yeah.